This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're checking in with Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado, who's been serving in his current role for a little over a year now and was elected to a full four-year term last fall. Welcome back to the show, Lieutenant Governor. Good to be here. Well, this spring and summer, you've been traveling around the state, meeting up with the regional councils in the state's Hate and Bias Prevention Unit, which was established last year to promote public education, mobilize responses to incidents, and serve as the early detection system for the state. So in those meetings, have any common problems emerged? I think the common problems that have emerged boil down to a heightened sense that intolerance and hate and divisiveness are being normalized and that there's a general atmosphere of concern that uh, not just here in, in New York but across the country that the climate of dialogue is such that there's little room for finding common ground uh, there's little room for compromise there's little room to be vulnerable or to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes. And the rigidity and toxicity of the climate is such that it's frustrating the chance to have meaningful conversation and ultimately has the potential to create violence and outbursts rooted in rage and ignorance. And so the thread line is how do we create uh, spaces across the state where there are folks committed in the educational space, in the faith-based space, in the small business space who are determined to do the work of creating constructive communication uh, within communities across the state. And I think the more we can have intentional actors on the ground doing that work, the, the better we'll be. Well, you've talked about proactively preventing hatred from manifesting itself to begin with, but how do you actually accomplish that? The most important way to do it And some of this boils down to knowing that the success of this work might be hard to measure, or in some cases might even be counterintuitive, in the sense that if we see, for example, an increase or an uptick in more people reporting incidents of hate or uh, incidents of bias or intolerance, that would also suggest that there's an increased comfort level with uh, feeling safe enough and secure enough to actually uh, publicly engage in a manner that will result hopefully in a positive outcome in the community. I think, as we've seen, when you do not act intentionally to foster love and care and compassion, the other side of the equation, hate and tolerance, um, is, is going to fill the void. And so the hope is that in being intentional in creating these spaces and having dialogue and doing community-oriented events on the ground where you bring diverse groups of people together and you encourage honest dialogue, that that in and of itself, um, to some degree, will change the atmosphere and allow people to feel more comfortable both coming forward, uh, but also speaking honestly about um, their, their experiences, uh, both as individuals who uh, may not uh, feel educated enough on any one issue, um, or individuals who want to be educated. How do we how do we build those bridges where those opportunities can take shape? Well, I've read and heard that the councils themselves are inviting people who are interested to take part, and that seems like it would attract people who are conscious about the, promoting 
uh, inclusive and accepting atmosphere, which leaves kind of on the outside looking in people who are not tolerant, people who are not necessarily promoting inclusive policies. So how do you go about engaging the people who might think this council and the work it's doing are superfluous or that it's some misguided uh, sense of uh, inclusiveness that uh, we don't actually need. But these are probably the same people who might be promoting, uh, whether intentionally or not, intolerance and hate. So how do you engage uh, those people? I think that's an important question, but I think I I would break that up in a couple of ways. First, you have to deal with folks uh, and engage with the folks who uh, either either quietly um, or vocally um, support being tolerant, being loving, uh, seeking mutual understanding and mutual respect. There are a lot of folks oftentimes who feel uh, unsupported in their perspectives in this way, who feel, uh, who, whose perspectives are chilled by the dynamics that are ongoing on the ground. And so we have to first and foremost make sure that we're creating a space in which individuals, uh, by and large, who subscribe to our shared values when it comes to inclusivity, when it comes to tolerance, when it comes to acceptance and love and compassion, that there's an environment where all these actors and and those who believe in it feel comfortable um, expressing who they are and creating alliances um, with those individuals who might be operating in different spaces, um, you know, but doing important work nonetheless that falls under the umbrella of these things. That is very, very important in the first instance. But to your point, that also should then, over time, include and fold in those within the community who might have a different point of view. And it's going to be incumbent upon those individuals on the ground and those organizations who are doing work in this space. Uh, who have the relationships to figure out how to create those spaces to have dialogue in a meaningful way, or to even just create spaces in those communities where there might be actors in those communities who, before the presence of the event, may not have come across uh, the work that's being done, or may not even have come across the idea, or may not even have associated certain individuals with this perspective or point of view. And so it's incumbent that we create these opportunities for dialogue, um, you know, where there's, where there's a chance to meet. But there's also just as important to make sure that we're um, creating a space for individuals who may feel uh, a bit concerned about their own ability to publicly communicate about their values in this way. So it's, it's, it's two different ways to look at this that I think are, are very important. It seems like the immersion of people in different cultures is a pretty consistently successful way to combat hate and bias. But in our present day setup in New York, people have essentially created a system of de facto segregation in parts of the state, whether it's based on the communities they choose to live in or or the schools that their kids go to. So in order to overcome that type of isolation, do we need to instate policies of something akin to busing with schools or uh, really superseding certain zoning decisions that uh, promote certain 
communities to set up. Is that a potential role for the state to get into this question of preventing hate and bias? I think the work of creating a regional council in parts of the state that are maybe not as diverse as, say, other parts of the state, but nonetheless, there are folks from a multitude of backgrounds, uh, you know, that bring a perspective to bear that, but for the fact that they might be a very small minority in that space or in that part of the state, don't have the, the networking capacity or don't have the tentacle to reach into the community to connect in a meaningful way or to be as present as they would like to be and included as they would like to be. That's what a lot of this council work is doing. Before we even get to the questions that you're talking about, I think there's a lot of work that can be done in making sure that as we go across the different parts of the state, that all voices within every part of the state are able to engage in the making of the community and how the community orients itself and the kinds of endeavors uh, the community seeks to pursue. This is more about building relationships within pre-existing communities that enable the diversity that is already there uh, in many respects to, uh, to flourish. And from there, we can build and we can grow, hopefully, on that success. You mentioned the future possibility of an increase in hate crime reporting as being indicative of a success in the idea that people are more comfortable reporting hate crimes. But what other metrics or objectives do you think the councils or the unit more broadly should be setting for the future in terms of preventing hate and bias and tracking it in a meaningful way to know that you're heading in the right direction? Well, certainly that's, a, I think, a critical factor, a critical data point uh, moving forward. This is a question that came up at just about every single council meeting. I think there is a legitimate question around, well, how do we measure success uh, council to council, region by region? And are there objective ways to measure that success so that we know that the work that is being done in a meaningful way uh, is having the impact that we, that we desire. And one of the things that we try to do is make it clear to every council that in the first instance, it is incumbent upon each council, given its respective situational awareness, to figure out from their vantage point what they believe could be some of the more uh, objective or measurable success outcomes. For example, one could say that just having a series of events over the course of a set period of time designed to foster dialogue and communication within the community, at least in the first 12 months or so, or first six months, is, is, is a success, right? Because a goal was set by that council to engage with the community a certain way and did so over the course of a set period of time. And from there, you build upon that success. It's more about setting goals that are, in the first instance, achievable uh, within each respective community, and then being able to build upon those successes uh, moving forward. And I think there's also going to be some work done to figure out what are some other across-regional, you know, statewide type of objectives that can be measured, just like we might want to measure the number or the frequency individuals who come forward to report 
incident of hate in the fight. And for more Capitol Press Room content, including a discussion with Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado about the 50th anniversary of the creation of hip-hop, visit our archives at capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals in education, human services, and health care.